This week, survival expert and instructor Mike House returns back to the podcast to talk about resilience. Now, he was spurred on to investigate this further by the recent impacts of COVID, but also interestingly by the growing requests during this period of time from his clients who are CEOs and senior leaders who wanted Mike to help them sort of get more resilience into their workforce. This got Mike thinking, and as a result of that, he went out and interviewed a whole range of people to start to see some of the emerging patterns and how they lined up with his own beliefs. And he's put that together into a recent little book called Unshakeable. In this conversation, one of the things that I found super interesting was just diving into the different definitions of, of resilience and, and working out how they play out when you sort of play out those different definitions, particularly listen for when we started to delineate the difference between resilience and adaptability. There's a really interesting part in the conversation around that. Mike puts forward that a big part is acknowledging that we are resilient and we are resilient humans. As humans, we are resilient. And this in and of itself then starts to build an amount of trust, not just in ourselves, but collective trust. And we really started to talk about the impact of that, particularly about instead of being a special person inside of a normal society, being a normal person inside of something special that's way bigger than us. As always, chatting to Mike is a real treat. You know, from his unique perspective as a survival expert, you can really feel his depth of thought and the way he thinks about things as we go through this conversation. He's really good fun. And there was another really great little point which I'll leave you with, which is, as Mike puts forwards, calmness is contagious, same as any other emotion. So enjoy, Mike. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming back Mike House. Mike, welcome back to the show. G'day Bryn, great to be back. Yeah, you were episode number 16. Is that right? Yeah. And how many are you up to now? We, this will be 192, I think, or wow. three. Two, yeah. Wow. Well done. That's, a, that's a, a good bit of longevity in this kind of world. It is. It mm. is. It does actually make me think about the journey from then to here. Mm. But yeah. And the last time we talked a lot about your background as a survival instructor and um, you know, surviving versus thriving mm. and stuff like that. But I gather recently, and this is why I thought it'd be a great conversation to have, mm. you've been diving into resilience. Well, sort of. Sort of. Sort of. So I think what I need to do about resilience is is reframe it a little bit, I think. Yeah. Because... That's why I thought this would be a fun conversation. I, I reckon we've... I don't think we've played it well. Hmm. And particularly over the last twelve months, hmm. the you know COVID's the obvious conversation when it comes to resilience. It's had an impact globally. It's had an impact on pretty much every human on the planet in some way, shape, or form. Everything from loss of life to change of plans. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's a massive continuum. I I loved what someone said, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody made the point last year in response to somebody saying we're all in the same boat, they said, no, we're not. We're all in the same storm. We're in very different boats. And I, yeah. I thought that nuance was really quality um, because, you know, here in Western Australia, 
compared to the rest of the planet. Yes. We've had a very, very light rush of this thing personally uh, and economically. Yes. Compared to pretty much everywhere else on the globe. Yeah. Um, that said, it's had significant impact here. It's, it, it, it's mm. not like it's gone by with, with no ripples. Yeah, I have this discussion with my mother and father who are obviously in the UK mm. and they've had three sets of lockdowns. Mm. And I had to sort of explain, well, yeah, it's completely different to that. Mm. But we've just, we've had about 12 months of lock-in. Yes. Which brings a different yes. level of difference Absolutely, and and especially <laughs> given that we're especially here, you know, yeah. what, the most isolated capital city on yeah. the planet. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if you can't leave the village, then you yeah. the risk is you become a bit insular. Maybe <laughs> um, it's also got its big upside, right? We're isolated, and so the impact's been small. Yeah. But back to resilience, mm. I think um, the way that that game has been played over the last twelve months. So when when COVID first hit, a lot of my longer term clients got hold of me very, very quickly and said, Mike, can you come and do stuff with us and our team about resilience? Mm. We, f- we feel like we need more of that right now. And I, and I think that there's a number of problems with that as a proposition. So problem number one mm. is that it ignores the fact that if you're a human being, you are, res- you are resilient. Um, I think we sort of undersell that. You know, It's absolutely built into our DNA as humanity that we are resilient, you know. Time and time again, through our through our human history, we've had our back to the wall, either individually or collectively, and we've gone, okay, well, let's find a way. And it's not easy, and it's not pleasant, but we just we just crack on and navigate our way through things. And sometimes that's really successful, and sometimes less so. But it's it's genuinely a part of us. So I think to not acknowledge that diminishes just how capable we are. Mm. The second thing is that it's if really you... It's a key foundation stone, isn't it? I reckon. Because it puts puts a level of confidence and capability. I was going to say strength, but I was retracted from that. Mm. You know, solid capability in there to start with. Yes. Yes. That we can draw from. Yes. Rather than, well, I'm just pathetic. Yeah. I've got no resilience. And I've seen a lot of people pointing at various chunks of the population and saying, look, you know, those young people, they're just not resilient these days. Oh, or, yeah. you know, this, this group of people, whatever it is, you know, they're not resilient. And fundamentally, I think it's BS. You know, we are all resilient. Mm. Let's just acknowledge that. Now, can we be more resilient? Sure. Can we build skill sets around that? Sure. Can we test it and build it? Sure. Um, but we've all got it, and our default when our back's to the wall is find a way. Yeah. Uh, and I think COVID, if it, it, one thing it did in spades was prove that, you know, the amount of adaption mm. that humans have done in the last 12 months has been stunning. Yeah. You know, business models have shifted, people's personal interactions have shifted. Uh, we've just individually and on wholesale, large scale, um, kind of capability just pivoted in all kinds of ways yeah and we've we've just done it you know it hasn't taken some expert to come and teach us how to be resilient we've gone all right we need to find a way to work from home let's do it so in that how do you how do you delineate um resilience versus adaptability what 
So I Just think resilience, they're really tightly coupled. It's a good question. Yeah. I think adaptability is a mindset that's inherently fairly light. So mm. we're not too tightly coupled to our expectations and our plans. And I think, you know, the most, the most uh, stark version, I guess, of that is the Buddhist framework that says, you know, if you want to be unhappy, then compare yourself to others and have expectations. Mm. And, and then, you know, if you're into most of the known world, that's exactly what we do. We have yeah. massive expectations and comparisons are rife. So that's that I think is the extreme of adaptability because it's like mm, whatever happens happens yeah. and we'll just go with the flow. Yeah. Um, the further we come towards, you know, what I have a heap of expectations and comparisons of myself with myself in a past or future form, hmm. with other people around me, with industry benchmarks, with learning benchmarks, with you know various other forms of status then I think adaptability in that setting comes down to how lightly can we hold on to our expectations. Mm. I think they're a very powerful thing, you know. Again, it's a fundamental part of human history mm. is that we set often really unrealistic expectations. <laughs> I reckon we can drag that out of my head into reality yeah. and I'll assemble this tribe and we'll go get it done. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like, really, what were you thinking? That's outrageous. Yeah, and yeah. we've done it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at one level, expectations are a super powerful thing, but they're also really dangerous. You know, we yeah. used to say in survival land, when I was teaching people those skills, expectations are actually what kills people. Mm. You know, if you're lost or stranded somewhere, that in itself isn't a problem. But if your expectation was to be somewhere else, the chances that you'll rush to try and get there and in that process will kill yourself is really high. Right. You've got to be able to go, okay, that's not serving us now. Let's drop it and yes. and change the benchmark. And I think that's what, in that's my mind, adaptability awareness. is. Yeah, Resilience is more about when we're under duress, it's our capability of to, to keep showing up and to keep trying. Mm. Uh, and obviously they go hand in hand um, rather than just accept that all is lost. Mm. Um, and there's some key transition points in there, you know, I think yeah. there's, there's moments of impact where we experience something that really rattles our cage and it takes a while, yeah. sometimes a short while, sometimes a long while to find that place again of, oh, we've got this, let's, let's get out and have another go. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting that, you know, listening to you answer that question, because it just came up. Mm. So there's a real sense of adaptability being how tight or loose you are with your expectations mm. and then resilience about almost the con the the impact of the change the yes. consequence yes. of that yeah to our being yes the words you yeah used. absolutely um and you know it's interesting how those things are viewed i had a fascinating conversation with a really delightful uh, maori woman last week and she was saying in the indigenous community resilience is not seen as a positive thing um mm. it's that because it's it speaks to we are constantly backs to the wall fighting our way out of something yeah and it's it's not seen as a 
as a positive state. Whereas for a lot of businesses, they go, that's a really desirable thing yeah. that we want to get hold of. Because you'd be, yeah, you're constantly in that fight, flight, mm. sympathetic, stressed out, nervous, yeah. anxious yeah. state, yeah. having to deal with the impact yes. of stuff yes. in the outside world. Yeah. Because we will, yeah, we'll come to your research in a minute. Um, so a couple of other loops, I think, in that resilience picture. So one is it's fundamentally human to be resilient. Yes. The second thing is that I think we have overplayed it at an organisational kind of level where people, the, the request that people were making, can you come and teach our staff how to be resilient? I think is a little bit akin to me fronting up to the start of an ultra marathon and on the start line calling my personal trainer and saying, mate, I'm just about to do this marathon. Can you help me get fit? Him turning up in that moment is of zero use. Hmm. I am as fit as I am and I either can or I can't get through it. Yeah. Him turning up is actually just highlighting the fact that my capability isn't what it should be. And I was saying to CEOs and others who were asking me for that work, what you want to be doing right now is giving your st- giving your people the message you've got this, not giving them the message that you haven't got this and you need all these tools and capabilities. Extra bits to put inside of you to make you feel yeah, like yeah. you can do the thing. They've got what they've got. Help them to feel confident in that, mm. not tell them that they're lacking. Um, there's a time and a place. Like I think around now in Western Australia, that's a great conversation to revisit where mm. the bulk of the impact has passed. Let's spend a bit of time looking in the rear vision mirror and go, okay, so what went well there? Where were yeah. our pressure points? How adaptable yeah. were Let's we? Let's put hands up. Who freaked out and went to the supermarket to buy a shit ton of bog roll? <laughs> yeah. Right, oh, it was me, right. Well, maybe yeah. we need to have a chat about that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, we're, you know, in, in hindsight, let's refine that a little bit. That's a great conversation to have. Yeah. But in a moment of pressure, I think it's probably the worst conversation to have. Mm. Is there... Because the thing that comes through for me, mm. when you tell me, oh, I'm get, we're going to CEOs and senior leaders come in saying, oh, can you help our staff with resilience? Yeah. The other thing that, that screams out to me is, and this is where I think it'd be fun, because I think this is what you've said in terms of, you know, tinkering around with the definitions of impact yes. and what people think it is and it isn't. Yes is that what screams out to me is when a CEO goes, oh, can you come and put this resilience thing into my staff? Yeah. Why? Possibly because the CEO wants the organization to stay roughly the same. Yeah, often that's the request. And, and, and it's, it, I find it interesting, this word resilience, because it can have different functional meanings to different people, some yes. productive, some less so. Yes. Um, yeah, what have you seen around that? Around, uh, around the, the different, different definitions or working yeah. definitions? Uh, so I think one of the least useful ones is yeah. that if you're resilient, it won't be hard. Oh, right. Yeah. That we'll kind of have an easy time of it. There'll be all this disruption. And, and we'll just sail, sail on through. through. Right. And yeah, to that's me, super unproductive, isn't it? To me, that's like saying, um, if I'm courageous, I'll never be afraid. 
It's like, actually, that's nonsense. You only need to be resilient that's, if it's really hard. That's route one to a nervous breakdown. That's <laughs> exactly. Running that narrative in your if, head. If I'm courageous, it's because I'm crapping myself. You know, if yeah. I'm not crapping myself, courage doesn't apply, you know? <laughs> so people sometimes say to me, I, I certainly pre-COVID did a lot of quite large stage public speaking at conferences and things, and people would go, oh, they're you know, you must be really courageous to do that. And so I actually find that environment deeply energising and I love it. I, I yeah. actually don't have a fear of public speaking in the way that many people frame that. And I go, no, for me, it doesn't take courage and that narrative isn't actually useful. Yeah. Courage is coupled to fear. It has to be. Yes. Otherwise, it's not courage. Yeah. Resilience has to be coupled to hardship and duress because otherwise, why do you need it? Yeah. Um, so we may have those things in the bank. You know, I can have a bank of courage. I can have a bank of resilience that I may or may not be drawing down. Yeah, depending on what you're meeting in the environment. But the deployment of them is inherently under pressure. And I think we kind of, the least useful definitions of those things are we, we assume that if we have that, we don't, we're not going to encounter this. Yeah. And that causes us to gloss over a whole heap of things. We don't have the conversations about the duress and the fear. We go, oh, well, it's all right, resilience, just crack on. Everything will be fine. Just crack on, yeah. yeah. Get on with it. Yeah. You know, there's no need to be talking about how hard it just got. Just get on with it. We're yeah. resilient, right? Exactly. Um, and I think that's really unhelpful mm. and is probably part of the mechanism that's led to you know, we're seeing lots of stuff coming through now about the mental health impacts of COVID um, and particularly for workplaces and how much of a ski ramp we're facing there around, mm. around mental health issues in workplaces that I think are both individual and collective. You know, we've, mm. we've got teams that are sort of like, you know... I think have, we're underplaying... Oh, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast... I appreciate, especially from some of the people I speak, spoke to last year, that yeah, we've all had a bit of trauma. We've all had trauma in our life, mm. big or small. Mm. Let's just say it is. Mm. Right? There's no register, mm. and that has promoted a, a a traumatic response to pressurized situations that mm. may or may not be productive, mm. and that's our own work to sort out. Mm. But at the same time, I'm fast getting to the place. My emerging hypothesis is that the increase in mental health issues is a is an appropriate response to strange things in the environment mm. Mm. now not say more about that well uh, so because an appropriate response actually, is a really interesting frame a lot so of people actually we can draw broken. on what you've you've mentioned earlier mm. on if if you take your premise that um humans are resilient mm. right and we delineated resilience and adaptability mm. from managing expectations and managing the impact mm. of something else, mm. then sticking those two together, by definition, as humans, we are impacted. Mm. We are impacted beings yes. with the outside world, yes. right? So therefore, that impact, the nature of that impact will show up so therefore actually you're really helping me um articulate this with sort of what we're talking about mm. therefore rather than if we can just take a moment to come out of our impact 
mm. and just recognize it as is mm. like there is something going on here mm. there's something going on with that person that person that person mm. and if we do the stats we're all our, our anxiety levels are all going up so there must be something a in the mechanism in which we're impacted mm. but i would say even more so in the environment that's impacting us so therefore if we just if we look at mental health mm. we can go one of two ways with this and and <clears throat> i think it's a bit of both mm. but let's just let's just look at it either or for a second the first one is where a lot of uh under, i believe our societal and collective understanding and a perception of mental health mm. is that it's within the individual to go and sort out. Yes. So what's the underlying coordinates of that? The underlying coordinates are, you're not resilient, mm -hmm. you, you are a bit broken, yeah. you don't know how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's all on the individual. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot more confidence in the human being, mm. uh, you know, just the way we're wired up and, mm. and, and what have you. Um, and I think we are, you know, we are resilient so that we're for, we do, react to stuff like a canary bird in, mm -hmm. in a mine shaft and so therefore you know i do believe that we're incredible beings and i do believe in our capability mm. so if we're under if so many people are firing up mm. and and mental health issues suicide mm. and this and mm. the other then and it's becoming widespread mm. then at what point do we go hang on a minute it can't because we're all fucked yeah. <laughs> right yeah there's got to be the way we're doing it yes. is a bit fucked. Yes, yes. So then it becomes an appropriate response yes. to the fact that the stuff, the way that we're doing it, you know, in our collective imaginary, yep. in, in our collective understanding, you know, in our systems on a community mm. to a national to a global level, yeah. and some of those key ways that we're structured and organized yep. how we do stuff, we are the canary bird in our own mind shaft. Yeah. And so therefore, it is an appropriate response. I love it. Yeah. So the th this really leads into the third reframe of resilience. Yeah. Which I think couples very, very closely with that. I think, oh, we, goosebumps I think we use it as a resilience, that is. Yeah. As, a e as an easy and convenient excuse not to deal with systemic issues. So if I can say to you, if I'm the CEO yeah. of this entity and yeah. I can say to you, what you need, Bryn, is more resilience. So let's grab some sort of resource yeah. to make you more resilient. Then I can kind of mentally tick off that I've solved that problem of yeah. duress. Well, it's very easy for me whilst doing that to put the blinkers on and not go, hang on a minute, we're doing a whole heap of things systemically that's creating the duress for our people. So sometimes I think we, we use that resilience adaptability um, frame as an excuse not to look at the bigger and more complex and more difficult issue. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I think, well, just make your systems easier to navigate. You know, take some of the, take some of the complicated so I, I love some of the stuff that um, Tyson Younger Porter's been saying about the difference between complexity and complicated. Yes. Uh, where he says complicated is what we make it, complexity is you know a really intricate 
weaving of yes. many, many different factors and players in the environment. Um, we often make things way more complicated than they need to be. Mm. Um, and I think we're seeing that in the conversation around mental health right now. You know, part of the reason that stigma is such a big deal still, you know, it's very hard for people to raise and yeah. speak about mental health openly, especially in the workplace. Partly that's because the, the complication is, well, it implicates you in exactly the way that you've just described. It says you are the thing that's broken Yes. And as long as we can fix you, then all of this will be okay. Yeah. It also... It's some healthy of the, ground for victimhood, isn't it? Absolutely. Some of, the, some of the conversations I've been having with leaders at various levels, they're kind of going, we recognise that we need to have conversations about this mm. with our staff. But in the back of their mind is the question, I'm feeling duress. And if I start to talk to you about yours, that just compounds mine. And so the yeah. the complicated nature of it is where we're starting, part of the narrative is, well, if you're feeling the pressure and so am I, then we're even more, we're double we're stuffed. All we're all doomed. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Rather than going... Well, so then we all carry on. Yeah. And it's like... So don't look no, at that. No, don't look at that. Don't look at that. And, and you've, you've actually now described... Uh, exactly the characteristics of um, what went on at, at boarding school for right. me. Because I yes. spoke to a guy last year about mm. the uh, basically boarding school syndrome, yep. which was interesting. And, it, and it's exactly this. It's like, I'm eight years old. I'm now in this strange bloody environment. Mm. All I want to do is cry, mm. right? But I'm not... Uh, and, and I know, every, but I don't, I'm not going to let that on. And then the next mm. person is in the same boat and everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. So we all just shut down and carry on and, yes. and, and deal with it. Yeah. And so, you know, particularly resilience for, for a long time for me, that's why I wanted to ask you about the sort of the different mm. inner definitions that people functionally operate on. Mm. is because for a long time to me, resilience was, sh was was almost like a shield. Yes. Right? Yeah. The fucking duress and the world can yeah. come at me and it's like, yeah. bang, yeah. there you go. You know, stiff British upper lip. Yeah. Take some of that. Watch. Yeah. Watch me. Like, yeah. And, and then not realising and thinking, I'm all right, I'm all right. Not yeah. realising that, you know, I drink quite a bit. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. And so a large amount of transition for me in the last several years mm. has been to drop the shield. Yes. Drop yeah. the armor. Yeah. And allow it to come through anyway and recognize I am a human, mm. so I am gonna get battered around by stuff. Mm. Um, and I am gonna be impacted. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. So I'm not going to stop with this bullshitty story that I don't get impacted. I'm Nothing to right. see here. Nothing yeah. to see here. Yeah. My fucking shield's good. Yeah. Um, so, so that in itself, just those realizations, whew, big drop of anxiety out of the yeah. system, which I didn't even realize I was carrying around. Right. Yeah. And then after that, it's like, okay, so some days it shit's going to knock me around. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to get untidy yeah. in the system of Bryn. Yeah. 
but I've started to develop in the tools to what mm. can help me gracefully come back to homeostasis. Yes. And then once that impact has been and passed, yeah. I'm still in the situation, yeah. but I'm not getting battered around anymore. Yes. So now, oh, yeah, I've got a bit yeah. of space now. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's each of us on, because, you know, we're human. We all have that journey, right? Oh, Moments yeah. of impact, things that knock us. Oh, it still happens. You know, it, it, I don't believe that it's, it's part of the challenge with that, you know, if we're resilient, things will be easy, or if we're courageous, we'll never feel fear. Part of the problem with that narrative is that we kind of build this illusion that, that there's some obtainable imperviousness yes. where things will come at us and we'll just go, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's We're almost st- like that shielding version is, yeah. is playing out that illusion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that just bounced off the shield. Nothing to see here. Um, I think we do that collectively as well. So mm. in, in microcosms like families and communities and organisations and probably globally, but I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have a high enough position on the hill to, to be able to recognise yeah, that. that. Yeah. Um, we play out that same narrative. So like you say, with the boarding school, you know, we, emotion is contagious in humans and mm. how, how we collectively view things and uh, deal with things is, is really, uh, that's, that's infectious. And in, intentional culture, I think, looks at how do, we de- how do we develop some of that certainty inside of ourselves? That, you know, it's inside me mm. and it's inside us collectively, whether that's just you and I or whether that's a bigger, uh, a mm. bigger collective experience so that we know we can rely on each other yeah. to some degree, regardless of what happens out there. Yes. Um, and there's, there's some great models for that. So I've, I've got a proposition that, is, you know, I think one of the, one of the good, easily visible working models of that is uh, you know, something like a small unit of elite special force soldiers. Um, and I think these metaphors are useful up to a point, you know, yeah. um, because at one level they're just like us and at another level they're a completely different animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we're disappearing back into shields. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, one of the ways that those teams operate that is highly effective is that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if that person's role is to guard our rear, they don't have to be looking over their shoulder. They know the rear is guarded. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. That person is doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I can rely on it without question. Again, if think there's a reduction of anxiety in your system. From if that. there's an issue with that, they're going to tell me. They're not going to try yeah. and you know put yeah. the thing up and go. Oh, everything's not, good back everything's here. Good. Oh, yeah. Know what's happening. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're gonna say, "Hey, we've got a problem," or "I've I've got a problem," and so we need to resolve that. They've got a way of reorganising themselves very, very quickly in mm. moments of deep pressure, where the consequences are life and death, mm. uh, around certainty of how we will respond. And they drill a, um, there's a great little clip from a guy called Rourke Denver, who's an ex-Navy SEAL commander. Um, You can find it on YouTube. He talks about calm is contagious. So they they drill into Navy SEAL commanders, calm is contagious. Yeah. And effectively what they're saying, look, whether 
things are going to go pear-shaped. And if yeah. the leadership is running around unspooling, then the whole thing unspools. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there are ways that we can collectively bring our attention to our culture. And, you know, this, this is everything from individual level, micro-team level, organisational concept, uh, us as a father-son, parent, um, us as a, uh, you know, part of a family unit, us as a part of a community us as a part of a global system, you know, we can bring that sort of thinking, I think, to say, well, okay, how do we, how do we show up in ways that our certainty comes from how we show up, not from what's going on around us? Mm. And that doesn't mean that what's going on around us will be easy, just that we've got a level of, uh, well, in the book, I called it unshakability, a, a, a level of, we, we know we've got this. It'll yeah. get untidy. It'll get messy. There will be impact. There'll be all of yeah. that. But collectively, we've got this. I know what I can call on you for. I know how you will show up. You know how I will show yeah. up. Um, that's that's really useful. And my sense is from the bits of reading that I've done and conversations that I've had um, that that's not dissimilar. You know, it's a bit of a turning back to mm-hmm. how we turned up in villages and small farming communities and indigenous hunter-gatherer societies Mm. where the environment was inherently uncertain and there was a deep acknowledgement of that in the culture you know at the moment i think we try to fool ourselves that it won't be uncertain that we'll have this clear road you know let's set a goal it's out there and we'll just go straight line to it Yeah, yeah, yeah okay so that's delusional. And we'll set and we'll computer model a map and that'll just... Yeah. Tickety-boo. Yeah. Um, and we tie things like identity and purpose mm. and some really quite deep-seated stuff to things like roles and achievement and those yeah. kinds of things, which are very, very... They're easily impacted. Yes. Um, COVID's shown us that, if it's shown us nothing else. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I spoke last year about how, I use the analogy of, we, we, our identity mean, takes maintenance. Mm. And often, you know, and we all do it, and we don't realise we're doing it, that um, our identity is built with like these external structures to hold it yes. in place. And when the external structures get shaked, mm. or are taken away, yeah. then it can be like, ooh, here yeah, we yeah. go. And last year it was almost like, yes, yeah, to yeah. remove a lot of them. Yes. So you're right. So when that sense of identity, belief, core values, purpose, and all of that, mm. which helps us shape the little enclave, which we know as us, mm. uh, individually, then, yeah, that all becomes, mm. that's why it becomes an existential crisis. Absolutely, yeah, because then suddenly, and, you know, I, I had... Uh, a patch of last year where I, I dove pretty deep into that particular well. It's like, okay, what's going on? Because from a business point of view, I have historically been able to see the value of what I bring to the marketplace because I'm in front of live audiences delivering it. And you can see moments of epiphany, you can see people nodding, you get insightful questions, all of that's happening live mm. in front of you. And if it's not hitting the mark, you're also getting that feedback. You know, yeah. you've got an audience going, oh, well, the phone's more interesting right yeah. now. 
um, or they're having a side conversation that's got nothing to do with what's happening in the room. So there was that feedback. The, a lot of the personal tactics for resilience that I have, you know, I, I train fairly regularly in martial arts. So the martial arts gym was shut down because it's very physical, yeah. high contact. A lot of the people in that community are people that I value the conversations and the provocations with beyond the physical activity. Mm. So that was all shut down. Um, so a, a lot of the mechanisms that I used to triangulate myself and my value were gone. Mm. And there was a period where I, I was saying to one of my mentors, you know, it actually feels at the moment as though everything is forced labor. Um, and he said, well, what's going on there? Because that's yeah. not the kind of energy I've historically got from you. And as we talked through it, I had f felt as though I had completely discoupled from my purpose. And so everything that I was doing was like, this feels like a strain. Whereas when, for me at least, when action is coupled to purpose, the the action doesn't feel as though it requires effort. It absolutely does. The the amount of work involved is exactly the same, but yeah. the work feels light. Yes. Um, and it feels relevant and it feels meaningful and and so the the labour feels irrelevant. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this feels like dragging a bloody great big anchor chain up a hill with no real, no visibility of what the top of the hill is or why I've got this thing in the first place, yeah. you know. Um, so I reckon there's things that we that we need to do that are kind of a circling back to that kind of community where we understand mm. where our sense of certainty is internally driven. Um, I said in an article last week, the only certainty that counts is the certainty we can create because it's sure as hell ain't coming from the external environment. Hmm. And and I don't believe that it will anytime soon. Hmm. You know, you look at any potential source of disruption, whether it's natural disasters, whether it's things like global pandemics, whether it's technological evolution, whether it's competitors entering the market, whether it's the more individually micro-focused things like bankruptcies, divorces, births, deaths, you know, whatever, then we're going to be disrupted. And I think that the, the scale and the um, speed at which those things show up seems to be getting more and more common. You know, we, we've seen in Australia in the last 12 months, many events that are 100 year events. You know, mm. and they've been, it's like, well, we've had 12 months of those where we've just yeah. got out of one and here's another one, Bang, here's another one, here's another one. And some of them are the same type of event, you know, like Queensland, I think, had yeah. um, three hundred year flood events in five years. Yeah. So, well, that wasn't a hundred years and we've had three of them. So yeah. I, I think that level of disruption will continue to grow. So we need to, in my belief, find ways of developing certainty amongst us rather than in reference to the external circumstances. Mm. And doing that in a way that is both individual and yet... And collective. Shared, yes. yes. Because the real delicate part I get concerned about is when we start looking at our internal capabilities mm. or doing work on ourselves or personal mm. development, mm. it becomes an incredibly individualistic pursuit. 
Yes. Which on one level is great. Yes. Because we all need to sweep our own house up. Mm. And we, you know, we, we need to, what is it, our own ones? Um, we all need to, uh, you know, uh, attend to the wounds that we picked up so we mm. don't continue to bleed upon the world, yes. right? Yeah. But at the same time, if we disappear too far into ourselves, then yes. you're just going to end up with a lot of individuals yeah. that don't know how to genuinely, genuinely interact with yes. others. Yes. And, and also, you're not, to continue the analogy, unless we go into battle together or we go in mm. to do something together, then I don't, I'm not going to really truly know that you're going to show up. Mm. We can do all the training yeah. and over that time we can build up that yeah. and then we will go into battle. Mm. I think anyone, it's interesting as you were saying that, I, I've, you know, anyone who's played team sports, mm. you'll have all, I think most people have been in a team where you rely on everyone to do the job. It means mm. you can just do yours. Yes. And everyone's been in one where there's a couple of weak links where yes. you're like, you know, I used to play rugby, so yeah. it's like, fuck, he's on the team, which means I'm going to have to do more got than my fair shares of yeah. tackles today. Or the opposite extreme of that, where you've got the superhero that wants all the glory. and Yeah, yeah, and wants to do everyone's tackles. Yeah, yeah. so you get those imbalances. So I really like that analogy. Mm. But I think it's that I'm, I'm quite sensitive at the moment of the over-focus on individuality. I agree, yeah. You know, and, and that's yeah. paradoxical, mm. which you talk about in your books, you know, yeah. being, being all right with paradoxes. Yeah. You know, it is so important for us to clean our own house up inside. Yes. But recognise a man is not an island, otherwise we disappear into this narcissistic yes. fucking, you know. Well, there's two streams in yeah, there, I yeah. think. One is the narcissistic stream. We, we get this overinflated sense of importance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, Tyson Yunker Porter's got some great stuff to say about that. Where yes. He says in Indigenous communities, one of the significant uh, elements of those is to uh, find and beat out narcissistic yes. tendencies uh, in a way that reforms people. So it's yeah. not punishment, you know, he's very yeah, clear yeah. about that. And I think the words he uses are, you, you are not special, but you are part of something special. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. And he speaks about that moment that you realise that, when it, yeah. where your first thought is, what do you mean I'm not special? That's terrible. And then very quickly you go, ah, that also means no one else is either. Yeah. So that's okay. That's all cool. And this is really important. So yeah. I th or really special. So I think that's, a, that's one road is we go down the narcissistic, it's all about me, it's all about either my untidiness or it's all yeah. about my aspiration. Um, the other potential road there is that we collectively load each other up, which is, you know, we, that's an mm. echo back to an earlier point in the conversation mm. where we say, Bryn, the, the whole of this responsibility lies with you. Yes. If you can't sort yourself out, if you can't be resilient, courageous, blah, 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 then we're all screwed. So, you know, get on with it, mate. Yeah. Get it sorted. And it, it's an unrealistic uh, burden to put onto yeah. each other where we end up in these little microcosms of it's me here and you there, uh, dealing with our internal and external experience yeah. of the world, and there's very little of that joining up. And mm. when we do join up, it tends to be either defensive or adversarial, yeah. rather than let's, let's stand shoulder to shoulder and face that way and go that way together. Yeah. 
um, recognizing that there'll be times where I've got this and you'll be, I'll be dragging you along a bit and there'll be other times where it's the other way around and that's yeah. okay. Um, and the challenge I find is that dialing back to other parts that we were talking about earlier on is that you stick that in an organizational setting. Mm. Most of the systems are not set up to encourage that, mm. you know, because, you know, particularly for some of the larger management consultancies I work for in my time, you know, I know that at one point during the year that there's going to be an assessment of Bryn versus Mike. And that could be the difference between whether I get a 10 grand pay rise or you to get a 10. Yeah. Know, one of us is going to get it. Yeah. Right. So therefore, I'm encouraged to collaborate with you, but stick my nose ahead at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. right. And that's yeah. not fucking collaborating. No. That's not no. bringing the team together. Yeah. And so it's just competitiveness. Yes. And, and this, yeah, this is where, you know, coming from the, you know, d doing the study of the business psychology masters and being the management consultant for several years, mm. but always being a humanist at the same time, which mm. is why I've ended up doing the podcast. <laughs> um, it used, it used it to must fucking, have been hard for yeah, you. Yeah, it fucking crushed me <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the time. And I, and I couldn't understand why. It's like, oh, fuck that. We'll just mm. play God. But then after you know, years after years after years, you just have to give in to the, well, you, you have to give in to the, the understanding that in its current format, this ain't going, we, we can try our best. Mm. I was talking about this morning, I was listening to, you know, we talked about integral theory mm. and, and a guy called Jamie Wheel tried to set up an integral management consultancy, but then the first thing all, all the leaders of the operation said was, oh, Teal, how do I get there as quickly as possible? Yeah. <laughs> right, Teal being the ultimate level of development. Yeah. Like, it's a competition now, yes. I need to be there because I know that that will make me better and I'll get paid more. It's yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. we're not encouraging this shit. Yeah. It's so important. Yes. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the the sort of dominant frames and systems that we think through. It's so we, we tend to view and this is both a superpower and a problem, right? Yeah. yeah. There's the the superpower of us being able to frame the world in a particular way and mm. operate from that frame in ways that are very often highly successful um, is, a, is absolutely a human superpower. And at the same time, those frames can become things that bind us. And that's a really great example. We're trying to actually put something that's quite dramatically different into play. Yeah. And what we end up doing is just subverting it to the frame anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. we've changed the colours and we've changed the levels, but yeah. we're still playing this competitive yeah, um, yeah. How can I get dog eat dog game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's only so much room at the top and so it mm. better be me, not you. And yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I I think that stuff is uh I, I you know, I don't have easy answers for how that's no. resolved. I don't know I, I think there's a lot of both complexity and complication attached to that. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but I think they're questions we need to be asking. And, mm. and for me, COVID has really provoked that thinking. Yeah. That, you know, I think it's been easy-ish in the world pre-COVID to 
both buy into and maintain the illusion of control that you know mm. the, that the environment around us will largely conspire in our favor and and you know we can set outcomes and we can go towards them and we can get them and you know there's a level at which that's absolutely true um, and then something like COVID comes along and, my, and the vast majority of us were caught absolutely flat-footed. <laughs> so I didn't see that coming. Yes. Had no idea that was even possible. You know, someone yeah. blarred a bit about bird flu a while back but, and yeah. it didn't seem to be a thing. And, Never got going. <laughs> you know, here we are. Uh, so it shows us, I think, in an undeniable... You know, you can't avoid the reality that actually the amount of control that we've got over the external environment is pretty low. Yes. Um, what we can control is all of this stuff internal, you know, internal to me, internal to our interactions, how mm. we collectively interact with the, with the other entities around us, how we collectively interact with the circumstances around us. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, I think this is a looping back to how humans have historically done stuff you know in mm. villages farms mm. tribes we kind of did that it's like we know our roles we have a an an easy way of shifting accountability and responsibility depending on you know whether the thing we need most right now is a, a shaman or a hunter or a yeah. gatherer or a maker of things and we deploy the best of ourselves individually and collectively in that effort and ego is fairly low down the list. Mm. Uh, and expectation, not really talking about Exactly, it's very adaptive to whatever comes our way, both mm. in terms of opportunities and challenges. Um, so I reckon, you know, I'd, I'd like to see this as a spiral where, you know, it's not a case of, all right, let's go back to a village lifestyle. That's not realistic. No but to recapture some of the essence of what we were mm. in that kind of world and apply it to now when we are, you know, genuinely global and, and so interconnected and, uh, and start to think about, okay, so what would that look like if we could, mm. if we could channel a bit of that, you know, if we, if we could get back to that sort of sense of collective capability and essence mm. where, you know, it doesn't matter so much yeah. whether you're individually, uh, whether you individually got this. Yeah. Together we have. Yes. And at some point you'll be carrying more load than I will, yeah. or you'll be adding more value than I will. But on the whole, yeah. that's okay. We're not at, we're not keeping score directly yeah, yeah, against yeah. each other. Because our dropped out of this. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I might give you food today, and tomorrow you might give food to somebody else, and that's okay. It'll come back around. You know, some will come and put a fire out at my joint yeah. eventually, and that's all seen as okay. Yeah. Rather can, than this straight transaction always, yeah. you know. And you can, yeah. And you, oh, I really like this. It, trusting mm. those around you, mm. that they will look after you. Yeah. That you can contribute, but mm. at the same time, they will look after you. Mm as well mm. um yeah the um interview with thomas bjorkman about the mm. nordic secret which i told you about earlier on one of the key things in that book is that if you look at the scandinavian countries there's a high level of trust amongst citizens mm. amongst themselves and with 
yeah. designated authorities. Yes. They'll be doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. Yes. We're all doing the right thing. Yeah. A lot of that's eroded, hasn't it? Mm. I think so. There's a there's an inherent suspicion. Mm. Uh, it was really interesting. I was having a conversation with a client a couple of days ago. I was on the train down to Frio to meet with another client. And I said, oh, you know, he said, oh, there's a bit of background noise. Is it a good time to talk? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's all good. I'm on the train. And he said, oh, shit, are you okay? It's like there's this inherent threat about being on public transport. <laughs> and it's like, uh, mate, I catch trains a lot. And so far, it's all been fine. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting assortment of characters on here, but I'm not at risk. Um, so there's that, I think, a bit of inherent suspicion of our default footing is more likely to see you as foe than friend. Hmm. Um, and I think, we, you know, we've got to be careful with trust. We shouldn't just dish it out willy-nilly. But, yeah. but I reckon there's more, more to be trusted than not in the majority of people. Hmm. And um, to actively look for that. Yeah. Because, if, again, if you're going into... If you're going into most interactions mm. with the base assumption that oh, I generally don't trust people, yeah, prove me otherwise. Yes, I put a quote in the book. Um, I can't remember it. who said it, but I put it in at the start of the chapter about trust. The quote was: "The best way to find out if someone is trustworthy is to trust them." Yes, I thought, "Oh, that's gold." That is, I love that. It's gold. It actually requires an in, to prove your trustworthiness requires an investment from me. Yeah. So it's there. Um, yeah. If you shit on it, then that'll be that. <laughs> but yeah. it was there from the start. Yeah. 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 I thought that's a really useful frame because I think we often uh, we we often operate from a default lack of trust. It's like I okay, prove I can trust you. Yeah, we saw that a bit in. Uh, I don't know in the people you've been talking to, but on the whole, mm. there was a massive uptick in trust in organisations with the whole work from home thing because all of a sudden we've got to mm. we've got to trust that you'll come back here, yeah, and you'll get on with what you're supposed yeah. to be doing and for that you're us. Doing stuff you're while not, you're at home, you know, you're not sitting on yeah. Netflix and uh, and you know yeah. perfecting your sourdough recipe. You're actually applying yourself to your work. Mm. And on the whole, we did that, I think, really well. And there was a bit of an uptick in trust, perceived trust in organisations. Mm. There were some people where the opposite was true. It's like you know, I've, I want to check in with you every hour because I've got to make sure you're working. And you know, mm. you might be slacking off and. It did the exact opposite. It kind of yeah. eroded that. Well, that kind of infantilizes people, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, because what again? What's the coordinates of the underlying coordinates of that? You mm. can't be trusted. Yes. Much like kids. Yes. So I'm just gonna have to check up on you. Yeah. Okay, daddy, mummy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 So it becomes, you know, a bit like uh, no, the go. calm is con- contagious thing. It's you seed trust and it grows, and the more you see it in action, the more reliable it becomes. Mm. And largely, that's just a, an unspoken agreement between us. Yeah. But the more we test it, the more we find it to be true, and so the more reliable it becomes, the more certainty it builds between us. Mm. So that now when this comes along, it's like I don't have to look over my shoulder to see if mm. Bryn's got my back, I just know he is. It's just that, yeah. And if he's not, he'll tell me. Yeah. 
Um, and we only know that because we built that up. It's, it's like the rugby team yeah, yeah. drilling the set plays to the point that when they're on the field and they're under yeah. pressure, they can flick off a no a no look pass and know that guy's there. Correct. Uh, and the only reason they know that is they've built that pattern over yeah, yeah, and over yeah. and over again. I know one of my dudes will be there. They know how fast that ball has to travel. They know exactly where it will be. They, they've got a peripheral view of the opposition in front of them only. Hmm. Uh, and it's an instinctive act based on, I know you're there. Hmm. Um, and it looks magical. Yes. But it's built on, we've, we've tested this. It's it not effortless. A, it, exactly. A bit like you're right at the start you were saying resilience makes things look effortless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it has that appearance, but the appearance is an illusion, an external illusion, because those guys know how much blood, sweat and tears is put into that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it's not like in, passes beforehand. you can't just turn up and make that happen. You know, you don't just switch it on or switch it off. It's like, mm. oh, quick, resilience training so we can do that. Uh-uh. Yeah, because <laughs> I guess that's one of the the questions I've got now. And, mm. and you sort of mentioned it earlier on in that probably now, let's stay in Western Australia. Yeah. Given that we have a bit of breathing space. We sort of have to, everywhere else is locked in. Yeah, yeah. And they won't let us travel. Yeah, never, not many other people can talk about breathing space right now. Because um, we do have the breathing space to look mm. back now and go, because it almost strikes me that you don't, resilience is not one of these things where we do resilience training. Mm. We have to do almost um, be curious about how we learn, how we grow, our mm. human journey, mm. and, 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 and being all right with that. And mm. then resilience comes as a consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, probably needs a bit of resilience light chucked in there, but yeah. it's not just resilience for resilience sake. Yeah. It's resilience comes as a consequence of, of yeah. being more solid in ourselves. Yeah. So with that, now we have the space like you said there's no point chucking resilience training in there when you're in the thick of it mm. it's like you at the starting line like you yeah. said are you starting to see people being more uh drawn to the things that will bring about more resilience or are we now going oh it's over sweep it on the carpet let's see if we can get back to that chill on again i reckon i'm seeing both mm. so yeah and wow. i'm seeing both at an individual level and at a collective level as well, and sometimes simultaneously. So if I look at myself as a microcosm of that, you know, we were talking before we started about, you know, this last couple of weeks has been the busiest period in my business since the first lockdown in Western Australia. And a lot of stuff that I was doing back then is coming back online, and I'm on a pretty steep, you know, ramp up again of, of delivery capability really. Mm. Um, And I can see in myself a temptation to discard some of the things that I was doing that feed my resilience through the quieter period Mm. and that kind of kept me together when I was hunting around for what's the purpose, why am I dragging this chain up the hill? I can can see how readily I could just go, okay, I don't need that now. I've got to focus on transaction. Go, 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 do, do, do. Yeah. Um, and there's a part of me that says, I've got to really watch that, you know, because I could easily put myself into a position where I have 
overplayed my transactional hand, lost right. touch with that, and I've got to I've got to try and scaffold this back in now because I've created my own duress. Yes. And I've I'm seeing that also in organisations. I think you know there's a. Can you give me an example? Uh, well, I think the mental health conversation is a good one, mm. um, where a lot of organisations, when you know, and sticking to the WA context, when we were doing a lot more, we have to work from home. There is no choice in that. I think there were there was quite a bit of uh, certainly among my clients intentional check-in you know how you're traveling what's going on acknowledgement that you are not only an employee of this place but there's an ecosystem that lives behind you and we can kind of see that because your kid will bomb the zoom meeting and your bull terrier is ripping a sofa (laughs) apart in the background and um you know your partner comes home from wherever and you know all that stuff is happening in the yeah in the context of work yeah and as we're getting your whole life shows up in a zoom meeting yeah that's right it's which like, we tend to here I try are. and ignore oh yeah. y- y- you're here wearing the yeah. embroidered top so yeah. you're just doing work and you, i don't want to know about the stuff behind <laughs> that's right <laughs> and despite the green screen and the beautiful sort of organized office there's these random <laughs> entities inserting themselves into the picture yeah um I think there's a bit of a sense of some people are wanting to just get back to normal yeah. now, and that's that's compelling. Um, I think it's one of the biggest risks that we have right now is, all right, well, that's past, let's just go back to normal, and, and that we actually lose potentially all of the, all of the mm. insight Mm. Uh, from the last 12 months because we just go, all right, let's just hop straight back into the familiar patterns of everything. Um, I reckon it'd be good if we can kind of balance some of those. And you mm. know, I can certainly recognise in myself and in the people I'm talking to, there's a tension there. You know, at one level, it's kind of nice to just go back into the groove. Oh, um and at another level, it's like, mm, okay, well, we need to we need to make that groove more expansive somehow, um, and you know, keep that Zoom background picture running even when we're face to face. I think one of the things that showed up, you know, we saw these these interesting polarities. So you mentioned the toilet roll fiasco in Western Australia before. You know, we saw we saw that kind of behaviour where we're you know pretty much. A, gladiatorial conflict with each other in the supermarket car park over who gets the 36 rolls and who goes home with a dirty bum and on the other hand deep care for each other at a level that i don't think that we've seen collectively expressed for a good while yeah or at least not in our cities um and those things almost operating as extreme (laughs) juxtapositions it's like (laughs) what how's that working out um and I reckon we need to keep sight of that. You know, we can easily be yeah. drawn into that highly reactive um, territory of, oh, things are moving. I need to quickly, you know, latch onto whatever I need to make sure I'm okay and stuff the rest of you. Yes. Um, we, have, we all have that, you know. We can oh, all yeah. do that. We get triggered. And then at the other end, 
we can do the collective thing really well as well. So let, let's try and keep hold of that, I think. Mm. Try and keep them both in view and acknowledge that both are ever present. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mm. take a set of circumstances to bring them to bear. We, we can create that internally, that, which comes back to some of that certainty we were talking about. You know, yeah. if, we, if we start to empty the metaphoric toilet roll aisle, then everyone that walks down it start, is getting twitchy. And if they're seeing people mm. stockpiling there, you know, it's back to the calm is contagious thing. It's like, oh. Yeah. The herd is moving. I better, you know, I better... Something's got to happen. Ooh, you know. Mm. Um, so I think the more we can keep that stuff visible, the more likely we are to get to some of those larger systemic realisations and, and possibly be able to scaffold that with some really good, mm. you know, interpersonal, individual and more collective expressions of humanity that... Mm. that build a sense of certainty regardless of what's coming down the pipe at us. Hmm. I really like that. Hmm. Hmm. Have we covered most of the topics in the book? Uh, I reckon <laughs> in we... In one form or another. I reckon we kind of have, yeah. yeah. So Because this was... Uh, what I found interesting about this is you, you've done kind of what I do here from my understanding. Mm. You went and spoke to a lot spoke of people. people, yeah. And then drew a pattern yeah yeah so i there were kind of a few things happening in parallel so when i wrote my first book thrive and adapt back in 2017 it's interesting you go through that process and almost immediately there's some evolution of thinking yeah because the the process of writing it down and making it digestible to another person forces you to shape it and deeply consider it and question it and mm. you know you get editors going well you're banging on here for three pages and i've got no idea what you just said <laughs> so oh okay that was really clear in my head so <laughs> back to the talking okay. yep, right. <laughs> either it's not a thing yeah. or i just haven't articulated it well <laughs> so you kind of go through yeah. that process and it's um it's an interesting process because it, you are forced to externalise a lot of the thinking that you would otherwise just be doing internally. Mm. And you're attempting to do that in a way that's digestible for somebody else, which means that, that you, you reach a level of personal clarity about it that mm. you couldn't achieve readily via another mechanism, I think. Yes. So I wrote the first book and then I had this one on the drawing board and it's largely been a a matter of courage to write it. Mm. So I could have written it pretty much off the back of the other one, but it was like, ah, oh, it just feels, there was a sense for me of, it would very easily add to the screaming noise of pop psychology, um, where, you know, it's like, here's something that sounds great, but is nothing of substance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> There's a shit ton of that. Uh, there is plenty of it. And I thought, I really don't want this book to be that. And there was a part of me that says, well, who am I to say anything about this anyway? Because of all the sorts of things we've been talking about. You know, I'm impacted by plenty of stuff. And I, there's moments where the wheels fall off entirely. And uh, times where my partner and even some of my clients point to a chapter in my, my first book and go, you should read this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can't argue against that you know <laughs> um 
so it's like, well, who, who am I to tell people about unshakability? The, the beauty of COVID was there was a bit of a wondering for me about moments of impact and what they looked like. And I, there was a sense of, look, I know we experience these things. Mm. We're all vulnerable to them. COVID came along and it's like, right, we're collectively, globally experiencing one right now. If there's mm. not a time to write this book, when is the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a real trigger. And the second thing around the interviews was I was acutely aware that many of the leaders and organisations and teams that I've worked with over the last sort of, you know, best part of a decade were all at once experiencing their own version of a moment of impact mm. as a result of the circumstance of COVID. And for some businesses like mine, that was a total flat line. You know, you've gone from a trajectory of growth and lots of good stuff happening to beep. You know, so yeah. <laughs> holy cow, you know. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, so anyone in the event space, that was their experience. On the other hand, a lot of my clients are not-for-profit health providers and aged care and disability providers, and their world went bonkers. Their, their workloads were off the scale compared mm. to what they've ever been. And with substantial uncertainty, you know, I remember talking to one CEO who was saying, you know, we're down to a two-week supply of masks and gloves in our business. And if we run out, we've still got to provide, you know, really intimate personal care to our clients. Um, and that significantly lifts the risk to our staff and to our other clients. So we're in this thing of what do we do? And it was a real probability that they would run out of that stuff. Mm. And at that point, the impact of COVID was still very unknown. So they're going, are we, are we effectively sending our staff to, you know, potential very real risk of physical harm and or death mm. um, as a question mark, and yet not being able to go, oh, well, we'll just turn all of our 24 seven services off <laughs> because, you know, that, that elder of our community will be able to probably get by on their own. <laughs> you know, it's just not an option. Yeah. So, so in their world, the pressure—the pressure to deliver was immense, and in other people's world, the pressure to deliver had completely gone. Yeah. And it's like, how am I even going to put food on the table tomorrow? Particularly pre some of the government um, initiatives that have happened here to support that. Um, so the interview process was to ask those various leaders across a big range of sectors. So I spoke to people in government at some fairly senior mm. levels, small business operators, some large publicly listed companies, some of those not-for-profits in the sort of community support services sort of space, um, and a bit of a mix of people in between. And I said, look, do you mind if I just chew your ear about what are you, what are you experiencing as a leader right now and how are you kind of navigating the deep uncertainty. And I think because of COVID, there was a authenticity and mm. transparency in those conversations that may not have been there had I been asking them about a, an impact in just their business. Yeah, it might have been a bit more of a front. Yeah, you'd get the kind of sanitised for public consumption version. Yeah. Whereas people were just saying, look, here's how it is and you know mm. th those conversations were profound you know some of them we were uh, weeping together some of them we were laughing together some yeah. of them we were speculating about potential futures and uh, you know how do you triangulate and make decisions when the amount of unknown is way exceeding the amount of known 
and it's rapidly moving. So, you know, the basis for a decision on Friday could be completely redundant by Monday. Um, how do you keep that cadence up without, you know, cooking yourself and the people around you? Uh, so there's real, really rich conversations about all of that. And what started to emerge was some very key themes about how people were navigating that that correlated very strongly with my survival experience. So the, uh, there's a whole world of psychology that comes out of survival where they talk about the survivor personality. Mm. Um, so people who do well against the odds, you know, whether they get a, a diametical diagnosis whether they get a you know a bankruptcy, a divorce, whether they're lost or stranded in the outback, whether they're in a combat zone, mm. either as a military personnel or or civilian, you know all these various experiences of deep duress. Um, the survivor personality is kind of a set of traits that right. allow people to typically beat the odds, you mm. know. And there's an element of luck there, you know. You sometimes just underneath the bomb and yeah. <laughs> sometimes a block away and that's good yeah. enough. Um, but, there, but there are attributes that sort of allow people to show up and get clarity and direction and, and take action mm. that stack the deck in their favour. And a lot of those things were correlating with what leaders were telling me. Mm. One of the beauties of it was that there was a real sense that um, for some people were going, right, here's the thing, here's a piece of territory that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt positively impacts this. Yes. And they were actively deploying that. There were other times where they're going, there's a sense of something kind of fuzzy here mm. that I reckon is important and I'm sort of trying to drag understanding out of that gloom and deploy that. And there were other times where it's like, oh, I'm just totally winging it. I've got no idea. Um, and so that sort of spectrum of understanding and capability to deploy things was really variable. So I'd speak to you and you'd be really strong in this channel, but no, I hadn't even yeah. considered this one. Um, so there wasn't a single person that had all of it. Yeah. Um, or who couldn't develop something to a greater degree. And so yeah. we, we tried in the book to codify all of that and give primarily what and why, you know, what do you need to develop and why, and not too much how. Yeah. Um, because partly because I think that that's a personal journey. A personal journey and a contextual journey. Mm. And partly because I think it's, you know, it's probably a doorstop and yeah. another, another book. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was useful insight. I think that thing mm. of testing thinking, you know, and we've done it a bit today where you kind of go, here's what I'm noticing, and you go, oh, here's what I'm noticing. Yeah. And then it's like, ah, there's a third thing that emerges from noticing that and noticing that. Yeah. Um, and um, sometimes there's a bigger context that that third thing sits in. Yes. That process is really valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think I've got some pretty good thinking in my own right, but it's way stronger when I triangulate it against others. Yes. Um, and that's part of that collective certainty that I think we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, that's kind of where I'm taking this podcast mm. now too. Mm. Instead of it's just you and me, mm. it's you and me talking, creating a third. Yeah. And then that's got exciting. And you know, there was mm. a bit earlier on. I think I mentioned it where. I can't remember what we were talking about, but it's like, oh, yes, 
yeah hair standing on the back of my arm i'm like yeah Phew, there you go yeah we're in something at the moment yeah hmm absolutely and then you know you start to get other people interacting with that moment and adding their uh, their knowledge to it and, and yeah. their perspective to it and furthering the furthering the dialogue, which I think is really powerful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If for me the you know if I had one sort of hope for us collectively out of COVID, it would be that that we deepen the collective conversation. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know that we're in a position that we would ever abandon the transactional stuff right now. It's so sort of built into our systems, but, but I think it'd be really cool if as a result of this, we started to talk more about how do we build a collective experience that's more robust yes. and that's less vulnerable to external circumstances hmm. and that almost has that footing of throw whatever you like at us, we've got this. Yeah, let's have a play um, with them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, inevitably there'll be times, the reason I put the un in unshakable yeah, in brackets yeah. is, you know, we are all deeply shakable. Exactly. Individually and collectively. Um, and that's okay too. And and I, I reckon that that needs to be acknowledged for our unshakability to have any value at all. Mm. 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 So the last question I ask my guests mm. nowadays since the last time you were on. Mm. Um, hypothetical question, but I yeah. always enjoy the answer, is if I could just chill everyone out mm. for five or 10 minutes, right? Mm. And Mike House could upload a question into the collective consciousness. So everyone just sat and considered or journaled out for that five or 10 minutes while mm. they're chilling out. Their answer to that question, what would it be? Ooh, what a great question. <laughs> Feels like it'll take five or ten minutes for the cogs to spool up on that. Um, I actually think that I've, I've been saying for a while that there's a distinction between positions that are inherently black and white, right or wrong, good or bad, and effective versus ineffective. Mm. So the question would probably be, what, what can you do as subset one, and then what can we do in whatever our collective experience is to shift the dialogue from good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, which is inherently adversarial, hmm. into what would be more effective? Hmm. Um, that would help us, I think, to elevate beyond the question of, you know, is resilience a thing we need to plug into you so you can do better? Or is it a systems thinking thing to, it's actually both. So how can we effectively do that? Uh, would help us to get beyond, you know, how, how do we deal with that? You and I are trying to compete for a limited space there to how can we collectively make this more for, uh, more of whatever the measure is for all of us, you know, more safe, more, abundant, more clear, more healthy, more, you know, whatever that is. Mm, what would be more effective? Yes, like it. It's been great talking. Likewise, Bryn, it's always generative and interesting. <laughs> Love it. So if people want to find you and get a copy of the book. Uh, the best place to go is 
uh, www.mikehouse.com.au. That's my website. It's got the book and a whole heap of other stuff there. Yep. Um, and all my contact details are there too. So I'm always up for engagement and conversation around any of this. Mm. Um, in my, you know, sometimes that's commercial, but often it's just let's have a chat. Um, I think that's that's really valuable. So mm. you know, I would encourage people to stalk me there and reach out. Um, and by all means, if people want to grab a copy of the book, it can be found there. And feel free to reach out and have a broader conversation that springboards off this if they would like to. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure, Bryn. Thank Cheers. you.